Good evening. Welcome to another episode of the Rack Focus Podcast. This is episode six. Episode six. We are covering Brightburn tonight. It was. I don't even know how to describe this movie in the best possible way, so we'll just work through it when we go and talk about it. I think I like it? Question mark? We'll get into that in just a second. So, also, we're going to get into what we talked about last week when we were discussing, or the previous episode when we were discussing the internet chatter about Robert Pattinson becoming the next Batman. I saw today it's now confirmed he has been cast as the newest person to put on the cape and cowl. So we'll kind of revisit that for a quick minute. And then we will also talk about what came out this week, what's coming out next week, and we'll wrap it up. First, I want to talk about, before we even get into the review, is here in Nashville we had, or we are having, something called PodX, which is a podcaster's convention. So basically like for comic books, pop culture, you have your comic cons. This is basically a podcasting version of it. And it's the first one I'd been able to go to. I've been to many a comic con, but I had not been to a podcasting one. And uh, I wasn't exactly sure. I had an idea what to expect. Not sure really 100%. I just knew I was very interested in seeing a few of the shows and also more importantly talking to other fellow podcasters and how they you know uh, listening to their stories going here in their process getting some tips and and, uh, it's you know I just had an amazing time I was only able to go for the Friday for the Friday uh pass for the weekend as I work on the weekends but it was an amazing time I got to see some I got to see one podcast I'd normally been listening to and I got to see several new ones that I had never heard of and I'm so thankful that I was able to sit there and and just take it all in because now I've got some new favorites some that I hope to communicate with and and talk to further down the road. Uh, the first one that I went to, I'll just kind of give a quick summary. First one I went to was Curious Nashville, which I'd heard before. It's done through the NPR station here in Nashville. Had some amazing, uh, had an amazing guest, uh, David Ewan, who's a Nashville historian. And he he knows history about Nashville like I know random nonsense about movies. Like he just knows it off the top of his head without even, without even having to look anything up or even clarify dates. He just knows it. And learned some amazing new just history about this city that I didn't really uh, know about or you know I'd taken time to learn. And then they also had someone that spoke about food and uh, the history of Prince's Hot Chicken and where the not necessarily clash, but the rivalry, I guess, between Prince's Hot Chicken and Hattie B's. So that was very interesting. As well as just other uh, very interesting stories about Nashville. So I'll go ahead and start off, especially if you live in the area. And even if you don't, if you just are curious about this town or just enjoy history, you'll enjoy Curious Nashville. So definitely, I'll go ahead and definitely recommend that the next one i uh witnessed was these are their stories it's a as you can tell by that title anybody that watches law and order will know right off the bat it's a law and order podcast where they take an episode and they basically talk about it they have fun little games like hey i know that guy basically somebody that got their start on an episode of Law and Order that has now gone on to do bigger and more notable things. That one's just a lot of fun. There's a lot of humor. There's a lot of just uh, just great talk about the episode. Just 
like you're just sitting with your friends talking about it. It's very, I really enjoyed myself in that one. The next one was The Strange South. These two ladies are from Alabama, and I had the pleasure of meeting them afterwards. And I really, they are new to podcasting, as am I. Uh, they've got a, they've got quite a few more episodes under their belt. They are hilarious. They are informative. They told some great stories about. They even kept it fairly Nashville or Tennessee centric in their episode for today, and really kind of dropped some knowledge on, like the, uh, like the uh, time the Warrens were in Nashville. If you don't know, the Warrens are the, I guess they classify themselves as demonologists. They're from the Conjuring. If you've seen any of the Conjuring universe movies, that's who they're talking about. They were in Nashville investigating, I guess, some ghosts that appeared in a picture that someone took while at, while at Andrew Jackson's Hermitage. And then someone else was telling them about how they need to go to this place in Lincoln County Tennessee where someone says that they their child was almost abducted by Bigfoot even though that wasn't really their kind of thing they went because they were already in Tennessee even though they lived in Connecticut they figured they might as well go ahead and check it out anyways so that was very interesting the other one spoke about the other one spoke about Appalachian snake handlers which I already knew about and was, I don't want to say terrified. I'm just, they're just people I don't, I, I don't need to be around. Because it brought back memories to when I was in college and took a religion in America class and watched a reel-to-reel film, filmed from in the 1970s about the Appalachian snake handlers and about this old guy that had been bitten by a snake 12 times and hadn't died yet got bit by a 13th time it was in bad shape and it showed everybody in his house just praying loud singing hymnals and just being around and meanwhile he's in his bed just in agony and I could sympathize I wouldn't want all those people in my tiny tiny little house like that gentleman yeah anyways that that documentary just terrified me it makes me never want to go out to East Tennessee to be honest uh, but she told a uh, basically a story, not that story, but told a different one that was just as interesting. And these two ladies, like myself, enjoy having a uh, an adult beverage whenever they record their podcast. So we are kindred spirits in that. So I, uh, so definitely please listen to the Strange South because that is just a lot of fun, and they tell some great stories. The one I saw after that was the 45th, which is a political podcast that talks about the current issues, what's going on, everything, and what uh, what is currently going on in the government as as we speak. So if that's kind of your jam, that's something you're interested in, if you like political podcasts then you'll probably enjoy this one. The fifth podcast I went to was the JV Club. This is the one I was most interested in wanting to see. The JV Club is... She's comedian, improver. She's been on TV. She's been in movies. Most people will either know her from Stan vs. Evil or from You're the Worst. I know her from Throwing Adventure Hour podcast with uh, specifically Sparks Nevada, which was always my favorite that she did with Hal Loveland, Mark Evan Jackson, and other amazing improv guests. I was really sad for it to go. It was definitely one of my favorites, but I was glad to see that she's moved on to other projects and other uh, avenues for me to be able to follow her. I enjoy her podcast. It's fun. It's just really hard. It talks about she interviews someone every week where they kind of delve into what it was like growing up, going to school, what they were involved in, what kind of like activities they were involved in. 
how that transpired to adulthood, what they do now, how that, and then she, and everything else. And she wraps up the episode with playing a game of MASH. If you remember playing that in junior high, high school, you know, as a kid. But she did, but she puts her own spin on it. It was an amazing time. And she even had a musical guest of someone that she had previously interviewed, but is a musician here in Nashville. So she couldn't, she's like, well, how can I not have her come perform for us? So she opened the show. And then during, during the time that Janet needed to figure out the person's future or whatever you want to call it, uh, results from the match game, she had her play another song, beautiful artist. So I would definitely check out that episode too. Plus, it's just a fun podcast. She also does another one called Voice to the Stars that she does with Hal Loveland and a couple other people. Uh, that's also really good. Some more kind of a, I think it's kind of harkens back to like a thrilling adventure hour. And then lastly, the last one I went to uh, to wrap up the day was Hell or Hell or High. Horror. That's too many H's. And it's a couple of roommates that like true crime and but also love horror movies and things in the supernatural. And they just talked about... One talked about a murder uh, that occurred around Nashville back in, I believe, the... I forgot what year it was. Um, that I actually hadn't heard of. And the other one... Talked also talked about uh, Nashville's first or ten, yeah, first uh, tendencies for a serial killer, and it turns out it was somebody that actually lived around the part of town that I used to live in. So that's so when they talked about the landmarks and places that uh, these occurred at, I was immediately able to picture where it was at and found that very interesting. So and it was also a lot of fun. They were, they cracked me up. It was it was funny because. They apparently said that the that Podex told them to keep it PG thirteen, and they had a list of words they could substitute for curse words. And so when one of them used curse words, like, "Oh wait, what substitute would you have?" and they had to look at the list, and it was just really funny. So definitely go check that out too. That's also a lot of fun. And so I got to meet Jana Varney afterwards, and she was super sweet, super nice, very genuine person, and. Couldn't have been a couldn't couldn't have been any nicer. And then, not counting the two times that I literally ran into him going in and out of the bath, or two separate on two separate occasions ran into him, and either going into the bathroom or leaving the bathroom. I also, in a more kind of official way, went <laughs> uh, at the very end of the po- at the uh, very end of the day got to meet Aaron Mankey. Uh, anyone that enjoys the podcast lore or uh, Cabinet of Curiosities would uh, know who I'm talking about. He's an amazing author, I guess, would be a person that speaks very well. And his scripted, researched podcast about uh, myths, legends, uh, things that maybe, you know, well, folklore is amazing it's it's beautifully the way he it all the way down from his speech pattern to the amount of time and research that goes into each episode he's even it's even got to where it's now on amazon prime and he's written i think three books at this time so that was also and he was super super nice down to earth genuine person it was definitely uh it was definitely a pleasure meeting him and uh, listening to him talk to others and I really just had an enjoyable time and got to learn. I feel like I've learned a lot more that hopefully will show uh, the more ups- as I do more episodes all right enough of that love fest let's get into it so let's talk about Brightburn okay Brightburn the budget was seven million dollars as of the weekend total for the weekend total from uh, the week was seven point five million. The run, it's got a runtime of ninety one minutes. It was released by Sony, and this normally I don't 
care or really mention, you know, we'll probably mention who it's released by. But you'll see why this why I said that in a minute. So if you want to get, if you ask someone who, like, if I were to tell, you know, if someone were to say, what is Brightburn? I will probably more than likely tell you literally what they pitched Sony. Brightburn is an, is basically an anti-Superman. By that I mean their pitch and the premise of the movie is what would have happened if Superman went bad instead of being raised uh, raised based you know the Boy Scout that he he is that Clark Kent is and that Superman fought for. What if instead he was the opposite and he was just evil and ended up using his powers for bad instead of good? That would be Brightburn. So Brightburn was directed by, I'm going to butcher this name already, David Yaroveski. Yeah, I said that correctly. He direct he has directed the movie The Hive that came out in 2014. He starred as the as this is what he's credited as. He starred in Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, as quote Goth Ravager. So he was a he was a background character more or less in the first Guardian first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. The movie, or Brightburn, was written by writers Mark and Brian Gunn. It was produced by James Gunn, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy. What, uh, if you're like, well, it's a lot of guns, yes. So, Mark, the writer's Mark Gunn is James Gunn's cousin. Brian Gunn is James Gunn's brother. Believe there are four brothers. There's James, Sean, Brian, I forgot who else, and then Mark is a cousin. The other uh, the other credits that the writers have that Brian and Margan have is that they both were writers on Journey to the Mystery Island. So the Journey to the Center of the of the Earth movie that Brendan Fraser did, the sequel to that that had The Rock in it, which I believe is probably the only Rock movie I haven't seen. Probably. So the movie start. So Brightburn stars Elizabeth Banks, who you've known for pretty much everything, <laughs> um, and it also stars David Denman, who most people know as Roy from The Office. Or from the movie 13 Hours, uh, the action movie with uh, John Krasinski about Benghazi. It also stars Jackson A. Dunn, who plays, who plays the son that is the alien. He, most recently, you will recognize him from, from Avengers Endgame. If you know the scene I'm talking about, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about he played 12 year old Scott Lang in Avengers Endgame and he and he also was in most notably that most people probably recognize it from he was in three episodes from the Showtime show Shameless all right so I know people are probably wondering why do I keep bringing up the budget and then what the weekend total was. Why is that? Why do people, why would people even care about that remotely? Because I'm trying to, my goal is to show that a lot of these movies, especially the ones I've covered so far, not just John Wick three Parabellum, or whatever, but also when I talked about on that episode, John Wick two and John Wick, in the first John Wick, all three of those movies cost less than $50,000. Brightburn cost seven. Of course, it's, I believe it's going to be classified as a horror movie. Horror movies can be made super cheap and thus make their money back super quick and then make more sequels to said horror movies because they made their money back and they show that it can make a profit. 
there is a good sweet spot of amazing movies that could be made between 20 million and 60 million. You see a bunch of movies that you know that that I'm sure you will have seen or will see this summer that are over $100 million to make and are just trash. And why won't Hollywood just make it simple and go to movies that are in that sweet spot of 20 to 50, 20 to $60 million range? Because that is a an amazing budget and you make a killing back. Just look at the John Wick movies themselves. Brightburn, when it made $7 million, its opening weekend, it made its money back because they were already at $7.5 million. And who knows what the total will be at the end of this weekend. So that's kind of why, why I kind of point that out. So when I talk about a movie and it may not be great, and then I talk, and I also mention the budget, we can kind of compare and kind of look at that and see if an overblown budget, if it could have been made cheaper, could have been made better because it was a tighter budget. So there's, you have less to work with. So you, things are enhanced. The acting becomes more important. The story becomes more important and not just the bells and whistles with the effects. So something we'll continue to look at as we continue our episodes here. All right, some trivia here. Let's go ahead and get into that. All right. So, first off, here we go. The school that was used, the middle school that was used in this film, is the same middle school that is used for Patrick Henry High School, also known to most as Hawkins Middle School or Hawkins High School. It's just an old rundown high school that they've now are basically used to film movies and TV shows in. So if that looks familiar, which to me I, I wouldn't be able to tell a difference because it just didn't seem like there was enough. It's not like Shermer High School or Shermer, Illinois for the John Hughes movies. They're like, oh yeah, it's the same. Oh yeah, that's John Hughes' house. Oh look, that's John Hughes has John Hughes' house again that they're using for a different movie, but it's cheaper just to use your own house. Anyways. Funny trivia like that. Alright. Secondly, the this movie was heavily influenced by the comic book Supreme Power. I've never heard of this, but apparently it's a Marvel Comics take on the Justice League characters where they explore what would happen if Superman didn't have such high morals, so to speak. So basically if he... Yeah. Because you have to imagine Clark Kent had to have gone to, through an angsty period at some point. And at some point, those powers had to have kicked in and done something. Well, even though the Superman movies never explored that, this movie pretty much is that exploration. <laughs> the cameos for this movie include former Ravagers Michael Rooker, who makes a cameo at the end of the movie, during the credits, so don't don't leave. And then Steve, A- comedian Steve Agee, who I know from Doug Loves Movies podcast episodes, also Sarah Silverman Project, and uh, various Comedy Central Network shows. And he's a big dude. You'll <laughs> you would know him if you saw him. Um, Steve Agee made a cameo in this. He was actually also. Not only was he a Ravager in the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie, he also starred in The Hive, in which the director, uh, in which that movie, that movie was also directed by this director as well. So yeah, so the movie pretty much just starts out with you entered the house of Elizabeth Banks and David Denman's character's house and. You see, you hear them talking, but it shows all these books about uh, how to get pregnant, fertility, all that um, sort of thing. So you could tell right off the bat, you know, this couple's trying to have a baby and is having dif- difficulties doing so. And then you hear a loud sound, and then alien ship crashes. 
and then it kind of cuts to them running outside seeing the glowing seeing a glowing object to like old home video films of the kid growing up which is a good way to kind of fast forward through time to get to the to kind of get to where the movie needs to take place and the road it needs to go down so it gets to they speed it up to where he's 12 and he, you could tell that he kind of gets, he's kind of still out of place at school, even though he's been raised there his entire life. And he kind of gets pushed around and bullied. And this one girl that it's in his class sticks up for him, so he seems to, he immediately thinks that she, that she understands him, that she has a crush on him, and he's obviously, and he gets the wrong signals. He. So he, while he's asleep, he ends up, I guess his ship, which is also like in Superman, hidden in the barn, in the bottom of the barn, starts glowing. As it starts glowing, it feels like it's being activated. For some unknown reason, he starts talking in his sleep and starts talking in his sleep to a different language and is having a hard time, like he's just tussling around. Well, then it cuts to him more or less sleepwalking and he sleepwalks to the barn and Elizabeth Banks can hear a loud noise coming from the barn and can't find her son. And it turns out he's in there trying, just raising the holy hell, trying to get this barn door open from underneath, from this door that's been chained up and everything. And then she was able to kind of, I guess, wake him up. And he doesn't know why he's there, like what happened, why he's not in his room. She doesn't tell the husband, goes on. Then things kind of keep picking up. He has a couple more of these instances. And then finally he's in his sleep, he's able to figure out what he's been saying in this other language. And basically it says, you know, take the world. So from that point on, his character just turns evil which I have a problem with. It, it seems like it should... Figuring out th- that one little phrase shouldn't immediately dismiss literally everything you've known and loved since, since you know, from the time you were a baby till now you're 12. I get being angsty and, and going through puberty and just having all these emotions and not really sure what to think. Even after you kind of find out from your parents that they've been lying this whole time. I just have problems <laughs> with that. It just, it's, and then he goes on these various different kills, uh, dressed as a super, uh, not even a super villain, dressed in a disguise. We'll just say, well, that's the best way I can word that. Dressed as a, in a disguise to which you're like, where did he get that? When did he have time to make it? And all it is is just basically like a ski mask that's been sewn up weirdly. I, I don't know. It just, I don't get it. It's not like it's like a special like superhero or supervillain suit. It's obviously just some old clothes that he found. And then his capes made from a blanket. Either which way, I didn't see any transition. I just... Bugs me on that end. The killings I kind of understood because a couple were justified, and then there were some that you're like, I don't understand the reasoning for this one, and it bothered me. I, I, there's several things in this movie that kind of bothered me. Without giving much of it away, it is very suspenseful. You know, there's. I want to kind of talk about because I don't want to give any spoilers about the ending or. If you were me, it seemed kind of a lack of ending. I mean, it ended. I just wasn't satisfied with the ending. Maybe that's just my problem. I just wasn't satisfied with the way it ended. This is what I would have liked to see. Any sort of backstory about the aliens, about where he came from. Anything. Even if it's just like 30 seconds. 30 seconds, one minute, just... 
pop a planet, show it exploding or doing, I don't know, something, I don't even care. Just something like, okay, cool, got it. But nothing, nothing to show any sort of, like, what kind of technology they have, what their environment was like, what they, how they act, how they, you know, there's just nothing. I mean, you're just left with nothing, just a, a language and some symbols that the kid keeps drawing throughout. So that, that I would have really liked to have seen. I would have also liked to know how or why he landed on Earth. Like, was it, was there some sort of, like, was he sent there? Kind of like how Superman was sent to Earth? Because his father programmed it? And, or was it, he was actually being, supposed to be going somewhere else and then got knocked off course and wound up, just something. I would have liked to have known. More, I have more questions about that. Where and when did he make the mask? That I know it seems that may seem petty, because nobody asked where Superman got a suit, at least in the first Superman movies. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just being more nitpicky about it. But I'm I'm just because this tr this one tried to be a little more grounded, I guess. I mean, it's still very much a horror movie, but there's so many elements in this movie that try and make it more grounded, more real, that if you're going to do that, you then need to kind of have, be able to explain some of these other questions, like even the stupid ones like the one I have about why is, why was the mask, his scheme as like zone up the way it was, because it made zero sense. And that's always kind of bugged me even since seeing the poster. <laughs> Then some sort of inner struggle. This character had no inner struggle about about killing some of these, you know, some of the people. I get it because they were mean or bad to him, but a couple that just weren't. They were more concerned, and actually, you know, had good, you know, were well-meaning. He still kills and doesn't feel any sort of remorse, and there's no real switch. Between, I guess, the villain that does the killing and then the son that shows up when there's not being any killings. Being, I just, there's just nothing there. And I wish, I would have liked to see more of that to kind of add more depth to that character to where you kind of sympathize with him a little bit more. Because after I watched the movie, I'm like, okay, who am I rooting for? Who is the protagonist in this? Because it's not the kid. He's the villain for obvious reasons. He's the one doing all the killing. Only a couple were maybe justified even still. And then the rest are just like, okay. So if the protagonists are the parents, the indie doesn't make, then doesn't make sense and bothers me more. They just didn't really do a good job trying to convince me that this was what this needed to, you know, this is what this story needed to be about. It just, I don't know, I think they missed the ball on a few things. So, let's go into some, let's go into a few things I did like. Those were actually, those were some of the things I had issues with. Um, or what I hoped for and what I didn't like. So what I did like, it was something different. It, it was definitely something different for the superhero genre. I think the phrase that's been, you know, keeps going around is super people getting superhero fatigue or cape fatigue, where it used to be you would get one superhero movie a year. And now you're getting two, possibly three a year. Or in the case of April, you got three in one month between Shazam, Captain Marvel, and Avengers Endgame. And then next month you'll have Spider-Man Far From Home. I get, and then I guess Joker's technically a not really superhero, but a comic book movie nonetheless. So I can see where people are getting the superhero fatigue. In that I do like the fact that this is kind of something different. This is something to kind of cleanse your palate, <laughs> if you want to call it that. I mean, it's definitely something different as far as tone, as far as the way the way it's shot. There's not a whole lot of humor in this movie because, I mean, it is a, kind of one of those humorless horror movies. But I think more people, not only just horror fans, but 
people that are suffering from superhero fatigue may actually enjoy just as something different to look at. I did thought I did think it was a good call to make it a horror take on superheroes or at least of that genre because that one hasn't really been done. The only thing I've seen close to it was a trailer for the movie New Mutants that's supposed to, was supposed to take place in a insane asylum, I believe. It's supposed to be like an X-Men style movie. That was supposed to come out, I believe, last August. Got pushed to the spring and then got pushed again. I'm not sure if it's really that bad of a movie. Or the director and the studio just can't come to a decision on how they want to present this movie. My guess is if it's been bounced around that often, it'll more than likely probably just go somewhere like Netflix or one of the streaming services and they'll just call it a wash on that. But that tra- even that trailer looked amazing and it was something different. So I do like the fact that they, you know, really made a good attempt at trying to make a superhero horror movie. I, I think the scares are good. Only the, Scares are good, only helped by a good, dark, moody score. The music was great for this movie. And it really did add to the kind of jump scares and the the tone and kind of let you know what was about, kind of an idea what was about to happen. It wasn't kind of cliche-ish movie. It wasn't like a cliche type of horror score, but it was it was well done. It was something I actually did notice and, and did note, at least you know, mentally, that they did do a good job with that. And there were and there were some great performances. Elizabeth Banks was great. She was more empathetic than the kid was. You felt more sorry for her than you did anybody else in this movie. And, I mean, David Denman also acted well, too. I just thought her... I just thought he got outshined by Elizabeth Banks, which there's nothing wrong with that. She was great. And they, I mean, and the kid was creepy. I mean, he was creepy as hell. And so, yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, there's some decent performances. I think it could have been um, kind of a couple more points on things that I kind of didn't like. I think it could have been flushed out more. The story could have. Uh, seems like it was missing a third act or the third act was missing the last part of the third act. Uh I don't know if part of it was that it just seemed like it ran, either ran out of money or ran out of time to shoot it. Or just setting, or whether or not it was just setting up for a sequel. It just seemed like it just, I don't know, the ending bothered me. I think the ending bothered me more than I think most things. And not so much just how it ended. Well, let me rephrase that. Yes, how it ended bothered me. I wasn't sure what I was going to this movie, what the ending was going to be. What what my expectations were. Because I try not to go into movies with expectations. I tend to be less uh, upset. Or not really upset, but... I tend to enjoy movies more when I go in with the least of expectations. And that way... If a movie's bad, you know, I'm not really that bummed out. If a movie's good... Going in, it's even better going out when I don't have expectations. So, it, yeah. But this one, I just, I don't know what I was hoping for it, but I just was hoping for something more. It just seemed like it was lacking. I just, I don't know what more I can say about that. Um, but yeah, it did kind of seem like it was setting up for a sequel. So, anyways. Now, I've got some... I know some people that will ask me, hey, so you went and saw this. So is it going to theater and go see it? Or is it wait till it comes out and rent it or stream it? You know, it's, well, most of the time I'll say, yeah, you, for this type of movie, go out and see it uh, in a theater because you'll want to because of the size and scope of it. For this movie, if you are excited to go see, if you this is a movie you're wanting to go see then by all means go see it if you're on the fence about it 
then yeah, I would say hold off to rental. I think because most people have a TV big enough anymore, at least for the you know, to watch the sets big enough that it'll they'll they'll be immersed enough. They're not gonna feel like they're that they should have seen it in the theater. So, I would say for me, I probably would have waited to rental myself, but I'm not upset that I went and saw it in the theater. I did enjoy myself, but if I'm looking at it from a more of a critique standpoint, I'm going to, you know, kind of pull it apart a little bit. But would I watch it again? Yeah, probably would. I have it on while I'm doing other things, but. It's not one I'm. It's not gonna wind up on like on my top list of any kind. But you know, I enjoyed it for for what it was. That it wasn't a good attempt at a horror movie for a superhero project. All right, let's move on. So next thing, it ha- it was announced today officially that Robert Pattinson is gonna take over as as Batman in Matt Reeves's The Batman. The same The Batman that Ben Affleck had originally said he was going to not only write, but also direct and star. He was going to pull the trifecta. Now he's doing none of it. And there was so much talk that he was just going to, that he he was just going to star in it. He wasn't going to write it or direct it. And then it was, he was going to direct it and star in it. And now he's not doing either. I don't know what went on there. I would kind of, I'm curious about the story, but I'm not curious about the gossip, if that makes sense. Because I've never really been into Hollywood gossip per se, but I do like hearing the process. I like, I enjoy the process of a movie. So how, from start to, like how it gets the idea, gets to paper, who, once it gets on the paper, how it gets pitched, you know, then assigned a director. And then gets cast all the way from there, all the way till it finishes. And then the end product. But any kind of, any kind of rumors or drawn, you know, or kind of gossip or stuff that goes in there, I don't really care about as much about. So, but, so Robert Pattinson, new Batman. I'm not going to be upset. Uh, I'm going to hold off any kind of judgment until after I see the movie. I think I don't think it's a bad choice. I definitely think there could be worse choices. Again, if you go back and listen to the previous episode where we, I talk about some of his other performances that are notable, that kind of shows his acting chops, uh, you'll you'll understand why I think that. All right, so let's talk about the movies that were that are rele- that came out this week. Godzilla, King of Monsters. The preview looks fine. Uh, when the first preview came out, now I'm not a huge Godzilla fan. I enjoy the movies. The old ones I kind of used to see on TV. I'm like, okay, yeah, these aren't bad. And then I saw the 1995 Matthew Broderick one. I actually really liked it then. It's not, it that movie did not age well whatsoever. I watched that movie, I think, last summer just for kicks because I couldn't quite remember it at this point because my, <laughs> my brain had actually went, yeah, this movie's not very good, so you probably don't need to remember it. And my brain was right. I didn't need to. It was not, it's not aged well. It's not great. And then uh, 2014's Godzilla I actually enjoyed, even though I dozed off in the theater, but that's because I was just tired, not because I was bored. But I enjoyed it. It was different. It, Wish I would have actually seen Godzilla more other than the last 20 minutes of the movie. This one I feared in the sequel, I believe they're going to just wind up showing him too much. And it's literally going to fight every single villain. Why they would do that in one movie instead of just spreading it out. It's like every time they make a Batman movie, they have to have two villains for him to fight instead of just one. I don't, I haven't figured that one out still to this day. I think it's going to be visually, it's going to be entertaining visually. I I still am not sure the story behind it. I don't know if that's the, I don't know 
if that's from a very well-made trailer or a very poorly made trailer because the trailer editors didn't know what was going on because nobody, I guess, probably knows what the actual story is. So that's kind of what I'm worried about there. But I do think it'll be visually entertaining. My son has already told me he's really excited about wanting to go see it. So I guess I will be going to go see it. The next one coming out this week is Rocket Man, based on Elton John and his music. From what I understand, from what I've listened to on another podcast with a guest that uh, was interviewed that saw a special screening of it. Well, before I get into that, the trailer for Rocket Man looks like what I hoped Bohemian Rhapsody would have been. Anybody that knows me knows that I thought Bohemian Rhapsody was a fine movie. I'm not a Queen fan, so I didn't think I was real. You know, the music, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, there's music, you know. Not bad. I would focus more on the acting and the story and just thought it was an okay movie. I didn't think it was the best. Uh, I wish there was just more to that actual story other than the drama they tried to force into the movie that was a little more fictionalized than it was real um but with this from the from what i've watched in the trailer there's no bones about it this is not a biopic it is a flat-out musical if you actually think people in the troubadour actually floated while he sang the song rocket man then (laughs) we we need to talk about gravity um so i think this will be great because it's going to be a, a it even says a fantasy tale, Rocket Man, a fantasy tale, a true fantasy tale. So that should tell you right there, it's not a biopic. It has biopic elements, but it's obviously not going to be a straight biopic. What the guest said was, it's a musical. It's not a biopic. It is a, it is what it is. It's a musical. They incorporate Elton John's songs into his life as a kid and as an adult. And the way they incorporated it was perfect. They just planned it out right. So it sounds like it's going to be amazing. Again, I'm not a much of an Elton John fan, but I think this movie looks amazing. So I'm definitely going to watch that, and uh, and definitely you'll you'll know when I go see that one because we'll talk about it. And then lastly is the movie Ma with Octavia Spencer playing a woman that. I guess ends up throwing from the trailer from what I could tell it's also a horror movie where she invites or a thriller where she invites kids over they party and then she just is that friend that just never leaves you alone is always texting is always calling asking what you're doing if you're coming over it's almost like she didn't have any friends growing up or some maybe a family member passed and she snapped I'm not sure but then they tried to start blowing her off and then, yeah, I guess all hell breaks loose. It looks interesting. I'm not sure if I'm going to go see that one. Um, that might be a, a, a red box rental, to be honest. Uh, so, all right, next week, June 7th, coming out June 7th, X-Men Dark Phoenix. I didn't know anybody was asking for this movie again. If anyone has seen X-Men The Last Stand, which is the third X-Men movie, you, you, you've you already seen the story. It's Jean Grey turns into a Dark Phoenix, goes evil, and then becomes a villain. And, yeah. So, why they're retelling the story again, I have no earthly idea. What I do know is this is... This is uh, Fox's last X-Men movie. Now that uh, Fox has been has been purchased by Disney. So all X-Men characters are now going to be the property of Disney. And will be now be available in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So that should be interesting. 
I'm not looking forward to this movie. I honestly don't even... This might be one of the first comic movies that I will purposely missing in the theater. That should say something. Unless my son decides he wants to see it, then we will. Then I'll probably go see it with him. Otherwise, yeah, I'll probably wait for rental on this one. The second movie, The Secret Life of Pets 2. I'll be honest, I own the first one. I have not watched the first one all the way through. Neither of my kids. But I will probably have a feeling this might be one my daughter wants to go see, so I will probably be taking her to go see that. So, it looks cute. Yeah. I mean, it's summer kids movie. It looks cute. We'll see. We'll see. And then lastly, Late Night. This is the Emma Thompson, Mindy Kaling movie about about Emma Thompson playing the late night host and Mindy Kaling coming in and basically starts out in one position, becomes a writer, becomes best friend, all that mentor, you know, you're, but it looks like a cute comedy. It, I mean, it looks like a cute, and I don't mean that in like a condescending way. I mean that like in, you know, kind of a sweet way. Like it, it looks like a cute comedy that I would enjoy. I will probably wait till it comes out on either rental or streaming and not because not for any other reason it's just I have other movies I need I would like to see first and so uh, that one may take a seat on the back burner until I can get caught up to it and usually I enjoy you know I enjoy comedies comedies I, I don't mind if I, I don't need to be in a packed theater to enjoy a comedy I could be at home by myself watching a comedy and be and get just as much out of it. So, I guess, and that's it. That's all for next week. And I believe this will wrap up episode six. I hope you enjoyed it. Please check out the Facebook fan page for the Rack Focus podcast. Also, my WordPress website where I'll try and put a couple of uh, show notes and different things on there uh, visual visual things that you can enjoy on a podcast post on there also you can also check me out on twitter and all that fun stuff please leave a comment rate review all that fun stuff it would really help me out i'd really appreciate it uh, thank you for listening i'll don't forget recommend one movie that you enjoy to a friend okay do that for me Thank you.